When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, Bills Mafia? Welcome to the post-game edition of Shout of Buffalo Bills Football Podcast, brought to you as always by Tops Friendly Markets. Uh, it was a tough one, but you know when you want to get ready for Slider Sunday, every time you visit slidersunday.com, you have a chance to win free products, brand swag, tailgating gear, trips, and so much more. One chance per day, no purchase necessary. All right, we're going to talk about this Bills-Jags game. We got about 30 minutes before the bus leaves go back to the media hotel so we're going to crunch this in here uh we'll have all your coverage uh for the rest of the evening and into next week over at syracuse.com newyorkupstate.com 25 20 the jags beat the bills and i I say that ryan but it it felt in a lot of ways and i think the bills even said this in the locker room at the podium they beat themselves i mean we're talking about penalties we're talking about an offense that really couldn't find any energy or sustained uh, momentum on offense through the first couple of quarters. Um, what did you see out there, and why do you think this was such a, a difficult game for the Bills? Yeah, offensively, Matt, it was just very sloppy play for this team. They couldn't get drives going. You mentioned kind of shooting themselves in the foot, and those penalties put them in situations that they haven't been accustomed to in their uh three wins that they had consecutively going into this game. They found themselves in long situations because they couldn't run the ball. So they were very one dimensional in this game and they just came out flat. And this is one of our big concerns. You travel over to London, you arrive on Friday morning for a Sunday game going against a Jacksonville Jaguars team that has been here for over a week now. And you kind of saw the the difference in terms of how acclimated Jacksonville was and, you know, the, the Bills just kind of, kind of came out sluggish, and they didn't want to use that as an excuse, but they made some interesting comments post game. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a few moments, but I want to start at, with the injuries because, you know, you get into this first quarter, you lose Daquan Jones in the first series, then you, you lose Matt Milano a few more plays later, and you hear Sean McDermott, you just put up a story on it uh, on the website uh, after the game, talk about it not looking good for the, you know, the outlook for both of these players. And you just start to wonder, what is this defense going to be left with here? We're talking about at all three levels. Cornerback, losing Tredavious White for the season a week ago. You come out today and and potentially, you know, with a pec injury, we don't know the length of either of these injuries, and I don't want to try to sit here and diagnose them. But, you know, if you lose these two players, Matt Milano and Daquan Jones, for an extended period of time, where does that leave this defense? And it's it's kind of in a troubling spot right now because you're coming off of a game where you needed the offense to make a couple more plays earlier in the game to pick up the defense. And I almost felt like it was this defense, you know, with a bunch of uh, backup reserve players in big spots that made a lot of, you know, ended up didn't actually make a lot of plays. We'll get into those performances as well. Um, They were the ones that was kind of bailing out the offense. Yeah. Listen, you can't understate the losses of these two players, no matter how long it is. 
Uh, Matt Milano has been the heart and soul of this defense, Matt, ever since Sean McDermott took over as head coach of this team. And he's been flying around the football this year, maybe playing his best football to date. Uh, the players talk about how they call him all pro Milano because of the way that he plays in the field. You lose a player of that caliber, it's going to hurt you at that second level. You already mentioned the loss of Trey White last week. And then up front, we were literally talking on the play that Daquan Jones kind of blew up that play in the backfield, how he's been the defensive MVP of this team. And then, oh, lo and behold, that's when he's grabbing his pack and that's when he's going and getting checked out. And now it looks like he's going to be out for quite some time as well. Sean McDermott did not have uh, an accurate timeline for either player, but he used the term not looking good for both. And like you go through this every year in the NFL, like even the best and most, the luckiest teams that tend to stay healthy, you end up having to replace elite players that get hurt. I mean, Deion Dawkins says it every single week after every single game, it's a hundred percent injury rate in the NFL guys get hurt. You know, I think the Bills, to their credit, you know, you look at Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott with what they've done with this roster, they've built a lot of depth. And you look in this game and there were performances that I think you can really hang your hat on this week, despite it being a loss. And we're going to get into the energy conversation here in a minute. We can talk about the bright side. I mean, AJ Epinesa comes out in this game and has a star-like performance in a game where you're getting Von Miller back on a pitch count. He only played most majority of the first half. I think he might have played a series or two in the second, but I looked up in the third quarter and he had a hat on and his day was obviously over. You know, that's a big-time performance. I thought Dorian Williams came in off cold off the bench, made a couple plays, probably wants something that he, you know, he'd like to have back. I thought the Bills in the second quarter and in the third struggled a little bit tackling. The Bills go to Tyrell Dotson. He comes in and I thought made a couple splash plays as well. Tackle for a loss, a play in coverage. Those are big time moments for players that were kind of thrust into things. You know, those are good developments. And I also think with Daquan Jones out, Ed Oliver continues to be a force. He was a, a disruptor in the backfield. He had a couple tackles for a loss and then he had another sack. He's got four. I think he's on pace for 12 this season. Yeah. And, and listen, there's no replacing a Daquan Jones with another player on the scene, but they do have Jordan Phillips. They've uh, had Puna Ford inactive on this roster. They've been done a good job over the years of elevating guys from their practice squad that can come in and have made plays. Brandon Bryan over the past few years was someone that was able to do that. And Eli Anku and, you know, they, they're able to find guys that fit their system, but you're not going to replace Daquan Jones, no matter who that player is that eventually comes up and, and takes over that job. Uh, then at linebacker, you know, you know, Dorian Williams, first and foremost, I thought he was active. I thought he, he was, he moved well. He made some good reads, but like you said, there's some plays that he wants to have back and, Sean McDermott turned a little bit to, to Tyrell Dodson at times, and I thought Dodson, as the game went on, got more comfortable, made some nice plays, uh, got his hand in on a pass in a passing lane. So it's a severe drop-off when you go from Matt Milano to any other linebacker. Uh, Rich Eisen was just talking this past week about why is he not being talked about more as like the defensive MVP of this league or a candidate for it, and you're not going to be able to replace that. But some guys did really step up, and to your point on Epinesa, you know, it's showing that sometimes in this league, it takes a long time for something to click, but it's really clicking for him now, uh, getting after the quarterback and also getting his hands up on passes. And kudos to Brandon Bean for pulling the trigger on that boogie bash from trade yeah. and not, de you know, dealing AJ Epinesa, which, you know, in a lot of ways I was probably even advocating for over the offseason. And that's a good reminder. Like, you know, sometimes we don't see everything that's happening behind closed doors, you know, how players are developing how you know what is the ceiling for a player and AJ Epinesa is not only hitting a ceiling he's breaking through it right now it's a three-game sample size you don't want to overreact two sacks today two quarterback hits a tackle for a loss a forced fumble so one of those sacks was a forced fumble he recovered it himself he had three tipped passes you know you want to talk about 
we talked about like a Josh Allen over the last three games and how balanced he was and how his performance was like doing everything, you know, the, the way that you want him to do it in each phase of the game. I mean, that was literally the epitome of Epinesa's game today. Yeah, Epinesa looks like something, uh, the light bulb, you know, turned on, so to speak, because he's, he has the active hands. It's something he's always had in his game, but being able to win those one-on-one pass r- rush reps was not something that he did on a consistent basis the past few years, but he's getting around the edge. He's showing a little bit more of a, an arsenal. He's solid against the run. Now, if there's still a, a strength for this team going forward, it's probably from the pass rush perspective, because like you said, Von Miller's coming back. They have Leonard Floyd. You would like to think that Greg Rousseau's injury is more day-to-day than week-to-week, but time will tell on that. And then you have Epinesa. That's a strong front at the edge position. They need to really step up their game to the next level with these losses that they have now at linebacker and in their secondary following the Trey White injury. You know, I thought Von today, you know, it was basically a, you know, test, you know, for him to go out there and see how everything feels. I mean, if you go and – um, watch that first half back, it's not going to look like the Von Miller that everybody remembers. And, you know, the way that he talked about this game, it was a, he said, I think the quote was, I'm dipping my toe into the pool. And I think eventually he wants to, you know, swim in the deep end. So really going through, to me, this first half was, you know, for him to go out there and get some important reps that he just hasn't been able to get because he couldn't participate in training camp. He couldn't do the kind of things that you wanted him to do. So I feel like weak in and week out every single rep you're going to see a different version of von miller start to emerge this is definitely not the 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 finished product but to have epinesa flash the way that he did was huge all right we can't go any further without getting into you know what's sneaky going to be the elephant in the room of this game because you have this disappointing you know performance this offensive dud that we're going to get into on the offensive side but something that might be flying under the radar right now that i don't think should be Kyir Elam finally got his opportunity with no opposition to him, and he couldn't even make it from the start to the finish of the game before the Bills turned to Jamarcus Ingram, undrafted free agent last year who played a couple of games for them. You know, both of us are very high on Ingram. We talked about you know him maybe making a push for the 53 so they wouldn't lose him. But in this spot, as the depth player with a healthy Kyir Elam, I tweeted a picture out of it because we had the coolest seats of all yeah. time in a press box, and it was really not even press box. We probably were in the stands, there's Kyrie Elam without his helmet on the sideline watching as the Bills defense was trying to make big plays. And, you know, he, he was in the locker room. He said he still thinks, you know, there's a you know a place that he's going to get to where he can make plays and he can help this defense. But all too often in this game, I was telling you when we were walking through the tunnels, I saw the writing on the wall in the first quarter. Like, you know, he was struggling in coverage. He was struggling against the run game. I tweeted that I thought he looked like he was playing in quicksand because everything was reactionary instead of seeming like he was playing fast. And I also want to give him a little grace in that department because he's not had meaningful reps in a month. And so if you throw a guy out there that hasn't played meaningful football, you know, I kind of want to see a little bit more from him. But, you know, when you're Kyrie Elam, a former first-round draft pick, and you get benched late in the game, in the same game that Dorian Williams, who's a, a rookie linebacker, third-round draft pick, gets the same kind of treatment, you're in a really bad spot with Kyrie Elam right now if you're the build because what do you do next week? And you, you probably, if you're Sean McDermott, want Christian Benford hoping that he's back. Yeah, listen, this feels like an opportunity squandered, Matt. And you mentioned he came into this game with a, with no competition. You have Christian Benford out, Trey White lost for the year. It's going to be Dane Jackson and Kyrie Elam starting. And it was Dane Jackson that was laying the boom and making plays and covering well. <laughs> then it was Kyrie Elam that, who was playing well off his man and getting turned around. And 
way too much of a cushion on some of these plays. There was one play, it was ended up being a run play, but he tried to jam at the line and the receiver just brushed him aside. And if it was a pass play, was going to run across the middle of the field wide open. It's just something's not working there. And it could be a confidence issue. It could be a lack of reps. Like you said, you want to give him grace, but at the same time, Sean McDermott did not seem to be in the mood to give grace uh, post game. You know, first he said that he went to Jamarcus Ingram to change things up situationally. Uh, but when another question came up about Elam, he said something along the lines of whether you're inactive or not, you have to be ready to play in these games. And it, it, you know, the writing on the said, wall, like it's happened before where guys have had to come before. in. We're not playing. Right. And, and the writing on the wall kind of was he was not ready to play in this game and he did not show up and give the type of performance that this team needed. And that's why they turned to Ingram, a former UDFA who was elevated from the practice squad today. Let's get into this during the week when we get our Wednesday show, because I think this is there's much more to like diagnose here with who's at fault. Like, is it Kyer Elam not being ready to play? Is it the bills for the handling of the player? You know, there's a lot to get into. I, I'm, I'm willing to put a good deal of the blame on Kyrie Elam's, you know, doorstep more than I've probably ever been willing to do because of the way that he's been handled. But I also think if you're sitting there and you're Sean McDermott and you're saying, this is a guy that, you know, you've basically told three different times over the past year since you drafted him, you're not good enough. We're, we don't think you're good enough to play over a six rounder and a seventh round draft pick. You know, there's an element to all of that that I feel like is super interesting, and I don't want to spend too much time on that, but let's really dive into that. If you're an insider, shout Buffalo Bills insider, make sure you text us so we can get more into this Kyrie Elam situation. And by the way, if you are an insider, um, you are going to get tons of texts over the course of the next 24 hours from Ryan and myself. We'll be in London for one more day, but there's a lot to, you know, get into from this game. Uh, 716-528-6727. Text that number. Start your free trial. Two weeks for free. Then it's $3.99 a month after that. Everybody that we've talked to so far about the insider line has said has been awesome. Uh, we've been trying to utilize it as much as possible. You know, there's ebbs and flows like everything else, but I feel like we're really finding our rhythm. And, you know, the best time for the insiders is, you know, not so much on game day, but like the day after when we're really diving into the data, into the, the the watch back. So, you know, Ryan and I, over the course of the next 24 hours, we are going to watch this game back. We'll have tons of thoughts that we'll be kind of spewing into the chat line, uh, which won't go really into the podcast until Wednesday. Um, the shout text line is brought to you by Carrie C. Byer, attorney with the law offices of Francis M. Letro, located at 237 Main Street, Buffalo, New York. If you or someone you know is seriously injured, give them a call, 716 716- 852-1234. Tell them the shout boy sent you. Check litrolaw.com. Offense. Man. Offensive? Offensive? <laughs> yeah. Our, our editor sent along uh, a, a great uh, text to us after the game. He, he was texting with a few of his friends uh, who are Bills fans, and they texted back, and, uh, you know, the, the Bills in London, bloody awful. And he is uh, he's right on the money. And, you know, this offense – the run game to me was what you mentioned at the top, you know, never able to really get into this game. And, you know, I'd put a little bit of that on Ken Dorsey. There were some second down runs again, second and 10 running out of the shotgun with those draw plays. It's like every, for every eight or nine that they run, one has some level of success. Right. And I feel like that keeps it in the arsenal. And I'd, I'd almost wish they would remove that and lean a little bit more into, you know, some of the Damian Harris stuff that we saw early in this game. You know, if he's going to give you four or five yards of carry, maybe it's not a James Cook game. Maybe you shift things over to Dar Damian Harris, who, you know, Brandon Bean spent this offseason talking about how much he loves him and then you don't use him. Another thing, 
you're trying to find some offensive answers, right? What have I been saying since the start of the season? Where are the Deontay Hardy shot plays? We just have not seen them. They pull it out in the fourth quarter, help set up a touchdown pass. You have to be able to affect the defense at all three levels. And I feel like Hardy's not being used in the way that I kind of thought they were going to use him. And when they do, it's just, it reminds me a lot of Emmanuel Sanders, the up and down. And he hasn't even had the big kind of like impact that right. Sanders had at times, but they got to find a way to better deploy their personnel. Yeah, th there's no doubt about that. And, and that shot play to Hardy, we both looked at each other after the completion and said, where has that been in this offense? And listen, we get it. They've been running a lot of 12 personnel, but there are times where you need to get out of that. You need to get your weapons on the field. You want to try to utilize the deep ball. You want to try to make defenses uh, honest. And if they, you know, if they cover the <laughs> deep ball well, then you probably have Diggs or Davis running open somewhere else. Uh, they do have to mix and match these things. As for the run game, you know, James Cook has been RB1. He's been playing very well. But to your credit and to your point, if someone else is running well against this defense, this Jaguars defense, give them the ball, feed them the ball. They needed a more physical attack. It felt like at the point, and that's what Damian Harris, that's what Latavius Murray do. Uh, James Cook is someone that in open space is absolutely dynamite, can, can turn a you know 10-yard completion into a 50-yard completion, uh, can turn a short run into a long run, but the space wasn't there today. They were getting beaten up front. They needed that physical presence, and they really kind of uh, went away from that, and in the end, it made the Bills very one-dimensional. So, um, you know, taking a look at this offense today, and I was looking for um, this edition, so I could tweet it out to our uh, yeah. followers. I didn't tag us on Twitter, yeah, which usually gives earlier. us the mention. Right. So I had to look up Bill's updates. My bad. So we're looking at the target share today. 11 targets for Stefan Diggs, uh, eight catches, 121 yards. He actually put on that jump ball situation that ended up turning into an interception. He wanted the blame for that. Like he, in 50, 50 situations, he thinks that he'll, he, he's going to come away with that every time. So, you know, whereas maybe, you know, there's probably some Bills fans wishing that Josh Allen would have aired out a couple of those deep balls to Stephon Diggs a little bit deeper. Um, he he wanted to come down with that ball. Another big-time game for him. Gabe Davis, um, interesting enough, eight targets, six catches, 100 yards, a touchdown. That stat line looks really good. He made a couple spectacular plays in this game. I thought the touchdown fighting off defensive pass interference to yeah. still secure the catch, that sideline grab where he jumps out of the gym, one hands it, brings it down into two hands, gets his both feet in. But then there's that drop where you're just like, what's going on with this? Like, we talked about it last year. He's got this yeah. weird, like, chomping catch action right. at times where nobody works on their hands as much as he does. And it's just, you wonder in those situations, they're just, how much do we react to that? Because he had a good game, but that was a costly play. If the, if, if he makes that catch and they go on and, and maybe score, it's a different game, but that was a drive killer. Yeah. The, the drive stalled all after that shortly after that drop. And it was a drive killer. And, and so you do have to talk about it because as good as he was, as many clutch plays as he made, you know, one of them came or you can argue all, a lot of them came late when the bills were down by two scores. And while it looked like a close game, if someone wasn't watching, uh, it really wasn't, you know, Jacksonville after that second ETN touchdown, pretty much put it away at that point. So in the big moments when the game was really on the line, he needs to make those catches. So <laughs> very disappointing in terms of that drop, very disappointing that that first deep ball that Allen threw, he didn't just put a little bit more under. I know he said, you know, on that play, you just don't want to miss your guy. I don't think you would have missed him. I, I just think that he let it too short, and, and that made Diggs stop, jump up, catch it, and it give him a chance to score a touchdown. That one should have gone for seven. 
the jump ball, fine, by all means. But again, it, he said he had to hold it an extra second or half second, and that cost him on that play. He acknowledged that. But there were opportunities for this Bills team, despite their ebbs and flows and their struggles on offense, to put up points, and they failed to do so. You know, I don't know if there's a way for Ken Dorsey, maybe there is, and I want your opinion on this, for him to game plan for defense, knowing that Stefan Diggs is going to get the target share, the majority of the targets. You know, he walks away with 11 targets in this game. Then you go to Gabe Davis had eight. Then you go to Dawson Knox had six. Then you go to James Cook had four. And then Deontay Hardy had two. Dalton Kincaid had two. Are we are we getting any closer to there being real noise about there having to be a shift in agenda for Ken Dorsey? Because it doesn't feel like Dalton Kincaid has any chance to have an impact in this game. It doesn't even feel like from week to week, it doesn't even feel like he's a priority mm -hmm. when it comes to the target share. And listen, outside of that one play, Gabe Davis was great in his eight targets today, you know? I just don't I just wonder if this offense needs to transition more to that answer that I think they drafted Dalton Kincaid to be in the easy part of the field, middle, intermediate, and it they just haven't found a way to get that done at this point. No, and this is something we actually talked about ironically enough over this trip when we said if something were to ever happen to Stefan Diggs. Who would be that go-to guy for them? In terms of the skill set and things, it would almost have to be Dalton Kincaid. You'd have to change the offense over to make him someone that you feed in that short passing area, something that they used to do with Cole Beasley out of the slot. And it's something that we both thought they were going to utilize a lot more this year, and it hasn't happened. He has not had nearly the impact of a Sam Laporta in Detroit who's come in and had an unbelievable start to his career there. And it's not a talent uh, issue. It's a usage issue. The Bills are not utilizing him the way that other teams are utilizing their young players. And we've talked about this being an issue with it comes to rookies and utilization, but we've all seen some struggles from Dawson Knox in terms of the catches and the drops and the contested catches. He doesn't come up with those. Uh, he's he's by far the superior blocker of anyone on this team at the tight end position. But when it comes to the, the pass uh, targets, I really think you might need to start swapping that a little bit in favor of Kincaid. Funny enough, you look at the stats uh, between Trevor Lawrence and Josh Allen, almost identical, 25 of 37 for Lawrence, 67.6% completion percentage, 315 yards, the touchdown and interception. Allen, 27 of 40, 67.5% completion, 359. Now he had the two touchdowns and the one interception, but Lawrence had the fumble. So, I mean, they both had yeah. a turnover. Um, yeah, Lawrence the, had a few fumbles. Yeah, the, 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 big, the big difference is Josh Allen's 14 yards and, you know, a rushing touchdown. I think if you were putting the two players side by side, I'd say Josh Allen outplayed him. Yeah. It just didn't happen early enough in the game where the offense kind of needed to find some consistency. And, you know, it, it's a weird game. You know, Trevor Lawrence gets sacked five times. Josh Allen doesn't get sacked a single time. And, you know, the two turnovers for Trevor to one for Josh. And, you know, in the end, the Bills offense, I think maybe Stefan Diggs said it best, just didn't execute enough consistently, you know, especially early on to make this more of a game to put the kind of pressure on the Jags. Like this almost felt like the Jags defense was the one that throughout the game was putting the pressure on all parties, including the Bills defense to keep it close because the, through the first half, like the Bills offense just couldn't find any consistency. Right. I think Josh Allen outplayed 
Trevor Lawrence, but neither were good today, if that makes sense. Neither were good enough at the end of the day. Josh Allen left a lot of plays on the field. He had some opportunities lost, and sometimes it was pressure getting to him. Sometimes it was the fact they were one-dimensional. They were backed up with penalties, but he didn't come through in those big moments. And, you know, I, I think this is maybe another discussion for our Wednesday show or later in the week, but it feels like he is trying not to run the ball by all means, unless he's right next to the end zone. I know I had the rushing touchdown today, but there was one third down play where he had nothing but Greenfield in front of him. And instead he tried to force a pass, which I think went to Dawson Knox downfield, bounced off his hands. It might've been a different play, uh, but he had the, the yardage in front of him that he could have picked it up. He could have slid with it. It feels like he he's, I don't want to say afraid to run the ball because we know that's not the case, but it feels like he's trying to almost take that completely out of his own game, which is not a good thing. Utilize it when you can, because that's still a strength. But I appreciate the fact that he's trying not to take those additional hits. Um, we got to talk about something else too here. You know, we, we mentioned Kyrie Elam, what's going on the quarterback cornerback situation. Matt Milano potentially being out long term. Not sure if it's going to be season ending, but something definitely where he's probably going to be out of the mix. If you were to prioritize, and this is something we'll get more into like later in the week as well. One of those positions, do the Bills need to maybe get aggressive about finding another person to add to the mix at either of those spots? Because right now you're looking at a guy in Kyrie Elam that you don't trust enough uh, to play for a full game. And then you look at a, te- at, a, at a guy in Dorian Williams who has been kind of up and down and you're going to get a lot of that. It, are you in a place, are you in your window where you can be patient with a young player like that or do you have to go out and see if you can find a player to maybe fill in for a team that might be underperforming? Yeah, I think the if I were to choose between the two positions, it would still be cornerback for me because you did draft Dorian Williams. And I know the, the Bills are hesitant with these young players, but I think the best thing for him could be to get him on the field, get him those reps, get him those snaps. And if you're strong on the back end, if you're strong up front, it'll help Dorian Williams get acclimated to the system. And, you know, it's hard to sit here and say who's going to be available. You can look at a lot of teams that are underperforming this year, and they might be able to have a, uh, find a cornerback that's strong in zone. I've said that I'm open to the Bills, even looking at like a Casey Hayward. He's 34. He's older. He's a free agent, so you didn't have to trade for him. He's played zone primarily his entire career and was still playing at a high level in 2021, 2022 range in his own defense. So they need to at least bring in some competition because as much as they like Christian Benford, you know, he's been banged up this year. He got hurt. He was out to this week. They don't trust Kyrie Elam. Uh, Dane Jackson has been was solid today. But again, he's someone that was lost for a significant time in, in his career with injury. So I think they have to add to that cornerback room more than the linebacker room. I also think it's interesting that we've been fielding questions in the insider group about where's Puna Ford? Why is he not active? They went with Kendall Vickers today, elevating him off the practice squad. And I think a big reason why we saw him in multiple spots being placed out on the edge. They knew Von Miller was not going to be able to play uh, a significant amount in this game, no matter what happened. And, you know, they got banged up early. I mean, Leonard Floyd was banged up at one point. Kingsley Jonathan came off the field. You know, they were at a point where one at one time where I think it was Floyd was out. I think Miller was still in, Kingsley was out. So they were like AJ Epinesa, Vickers, and that was about it. And they might have to just roll that way the rest of the um, the game. Here's a player that I think in Puna Ford that I think we're going to start to talk a lot more about with Daquan Jones out. He's had his time to kind of sit back and watch and wait and wait for an opportunity. I think Daquan Jones or um, Puna Ford is going to play next yeah. week, obviously, with Jones out. But I also think more so than Ford, who I think 
kind of fills into last season's settle role. To me, this feels like a huge opportunity for Tim Settle, who has just been a victim of, you know, Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver having the target share or the share, the, the line share of the snaps. Could Tim Settle be kind of poised for maybe a bit of a breakout here over the next couple of, of games? Or do you look into a Jordan Phillips? Where do you think it goes from here? Well, I, I think you have a lot of confidence in Jordan Phillips and his knowledge of this defense, but Tim Settle had a really good summer, and you mentioned it. He has just kind of been a victim of the talent in front of him. Now this opportunity is there, and Tim Settle has really stepped up at times in his career in Washington. I think he's he can rise the occasion here in Buffalo as well. So uh, he would be the guy I'd look for the most in terms of who could step up. But then Puna Ford, too, you mentioned it. You know, the, the Bills liked him. They kept five D tackles on this roster for a reason. That opportunity is now here for him to get some work and get some reps in this in this defense. Sean McDermott said that he wants to uh, take a look at everything, their process that they did coming over to London. He said he'd embrace coming back here again. How much are we feeding into this narrative that it was – the trip that kind of sapped the energy for the bills because going into the room, there was obviously a problem with the way that the bills offense came out early yeah. in this game, even the defense to a degree. I mean, Trevor Lawrence and the offense, like, you know, they might've come away with only 11 points on those first couple of drives, but they were moving the ball pretty consistently early in the game. It's kind of been the MO of this defense. How much are we buying into this offense? Just not have being rested enough on the offensive line. We kind of mentioned it. And is this something that you think, flipping forward in next week is something they're going to be able to flush and respond with after they get back. And is this something that can linger at all? I mean, it can linger because of the injury purposes, but not so much the energy purposes, in my opinion, Matt. I think that having it on Monday night game next weekend, first of all, is going to help getting that additional day. But the Bills didn't use it as an excuse today. However, we turn, we heard they didn't have the energy today. Right. Why didn't they have the energy? Probably because they flew in on Friday morning for a Sunday game. We both just did it. I mean, coming yeah. over, I mean, we were we were absolutely wrecked. I remember the yeah. the one morning yep. after we went out and had a couple pops. Uh, we won't go too far into the details on that. Maybe join the insider. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have you uh, kind of lay out our, our first couple nights in the insider chat. But we did it. We were we were absolutely exhausted. And you know, Josh Allen, he said it coming into the week. Yeah, he he did say it coming into the week. He said it at his <laughs> presser that he was still very tired and. It's a real thing. I mean, the first few days here, we were sleeping in until 9, 9.30. And I'm someone that usually gets up every morning at 5 a.m. Like clockwork. I don't even need an alarm usually. It zaps you. It tires you out. And, and I just don't think this was enough time. And Sean McDermott even said at the end of the game, we're going to go back and reevaluate everything in the event that this ever happens again to us in terms of traveling internationally. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if that things change the next time this happens. You know, I, I don't think that this changes, um, you know, some people asking for updates uh, in the chat on Milano and Jones. We gave him at the top. Um, not good. You know, right now it doesn't look good. That's what Sean McDermott said. It's a, it's a knee for Milano, lower leg injury that – um, Sean McDermott mentioned Daquan Jones with the pack. So the severity of those two injuries are going to determine how long these two players are out for. But I think if you're the Bills, you kind of go into this week, you're definitely not going to have them next week um, for the foreseeable future. So it's start, right. it's about flipping forward and you know, what's, you know, I, I thought that Tyrell Dotson and, and, and Dorian Williams came in and play well today, but I'll be honest, I, I am a little bit concerned about their depth at outside linebacker uh, unless Dorian Williams really takes a jump week by week. And maybe he will. I mean, Matt Milano as a fifth round draft. He played pretty good early on in his career. And that's a position that in the past, the bills have done a really good job at developing, mm -hmm. getting 
like good results early from those guys. And I think Bobby Babbage is as respected as anybody in that Bills um, uh, locker room in terms of assistant coaches and his ability to coach up these young players. And and, and you always have the Dotson piece to kind of go back to uh, if you do. But there's, there's going to be a lot of long nights for Brandon Bean over the next couple of days to figure out, all right, do we have to be aggressive? Do we kind of just let this play out? Lucky for the Bills, the next couple – I feel like they can kind of see what this looks like before they have to sure. really jump into the deep end, if you will, of uh, maybe a trade. And, and let's be real here. I mean, they don't have to send, they would never send a first round pick, but they don't have to send a high pick to get some of these players that are potentially available. We've seen uh, sixth round picks, seventh round picks being traded for players, a like Chase Claypool in Miami, for instance. And there are players that con in contracts that teams are going to want to get rid of, and it might be at. Uh, outside linebacker might be at defensive tackle might be at cornerback and, and the bills would just be wise to, to shop around and see what's out there. Uh, you know, if something, if they really struggle next week against the giants, well then maybe you do hit the panic button and it becomes more serious, but you're right. They have some winnable games over this next stretch, uh, even without some key players on the defense side of the ball. Big one next weekend, bills versus giants back in orchard park, man, I can't wait to get home. Um, we're going to be home for two days in a row because you're coming up for shout uh, live at wing nuts, 700 military road the night before the giants game uh, for inside froth brewery, wing nuts, North Buffalo, come out, hang out with Ryan, hang out with me. We'll talk bills. Who knows who else is going to show up? Uh, maybe we'll bring somebody fun out. Uh, we'll see what we can get kind of uh, going here over the next couple of days. And, you know, if you're hosting a big party or you're hosting a tailgate, start your Slider Sunday winning streak with Kings Hawaiian this football season. Earn rewards to redeem for free product, brand swag, tag, tailgating gear, and more. Visit slidersunday.com for details. He's Ryan. I'm Matt from Toham Husper Stadium. I never say it right. People always give me a hard time. Uh, it's been a lovely week. Uh, we will have you. Uh, I know it wasn't a lovely result for Bills fans, uh, but a lot to dive into, and we'll have the rewatch. And more. All right. Boss is leaving. We got to go.